Welcome back to the FPC Paris podcast, where we explore intersectional feminism through literature. In part two of our interview with writer Sanae Lemoine, we explore her passion for food, which makes a very welcome appearance at several moments in her debut novel, The Margot Affair. We also discuss the fine line between food as comfort versus food as something more sinister, especially for women. And Sanae shares with us what she was reading during confinement. Enjoy. Where did you learn to cook? I asked. Everything you make is delicious. I swished a piece of bread in the broth. Trial and error. I've been doing this for 20 years. You eventually learn. My mother wasn't a good cook, she said. We ate a lot of pasta and Uncle Ben's rice, jarred tomato sauce, macedoine salad from a can with enough mayonnaise to kill you. I took it upon myself to learn. But it was difficult because I had no one to observe. The best way to learn is to watch someone else. Cooking is all about movements, little gestures here and there. It's like a dance. Most of those moves are intuitive to the cook, who doesn't think twice about them. So you have to look closely, stand right next to them, absorb the dance. I have friends who are proud of not knowing how to cook, she continued, serving herself a small mound of salad. She folded the leaves into squares before putting them in her mouth. For them, being in the kitchen is the ultimate symbol of the housewife. But I've never thought of it as a domestic activity. For me, learning to cook was a sign of education, being better than my parents. My mother called me a fat girl, but she didn't give me the tools to eat well. So what was I supposed to do aside from starving myself? She leaned back and held her stomach with both hands. It bulged ever so slightly. She closed her eyes. I've eaten too much, she said, and now I feel like a boa. I wondered excitedly if she was pregnant, but when she sat up a minute later, I saw she was the same, not an extra gram on her. David and I carried the dishes indoors and piled them in the sink. I observed Brigitte through the window. A gust of wind rustled the branches above her head, and she snapped her eyes open. The sun had disappeared. David placed his hands on my waist to move me aside, away from the sink. Let me do the dishes, he said. Their warm imprint stayed with me as I went upstairs to my room. You've just spoken about baked goods, which seems like a pretty good segue into food within this book. Um, I think, you know, it made a frequent appearance. They were some of my favorite moments um, because they were very, the food was very intertwined um, like it was very personal depending on the character who was either consuming or making or showing you know the food and I didn't realize before like when I was reading that you 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 were a recipe writer and editor um and like a cookbook editor so it, it made sense afterwards when I found that information out about you mm. um but I just wondered if you could maybe share a bit about the role of food in the Margot affair mm -hmm. and where your very kind of clear love and passion for food also comes from. Yeah, it's it's been really fascinating to hear from many readers that they loved the, the way I wrote about food and that it was um, that the food descriptions were some of their favorite parts of the novel because um, it's it's probably the thing that that came most organically or that I was thinking about the least as opposed to the other themes, which I felt like I really had to hone in on and, and, and work on. Whereas like 
food, you know, I never thought, oh, there will be food in the scene. It just, it just happened. Um, and, and it's kind of, I'd say that's the part of the novel that was least, um, that had the least architecture or, or planning or thought in a sense. Um, Brigitte, it's a little bit more intentional because she is a very skilled cook and that is um, something that she uses, a tool that she uses to draw Margot into her world. And she see, she notices that Margot is impressed and mesmerized by, by her um, gestures in the kitchen. So, you know, there, I, I think early on I knew, okay, I'm going to have one character who, who um, has like the cooking superpower. And, and it's going to have an effect on, on Margot, one of nourishment and, and fascination and desire. But I, I, lately I've been thinking about my own obsession with, with cooking. And the thing that I, I really love, aside from just the act of cooking, is watching other people cook. It's truly my favorite activity. There's something I find like so soothing and magical when I observe someone else in the kitchen and as a child, I spent hours watching my mom cook. I rarely participated, which is funny now that I think about it. It wasn't the kind of relationship where she'd say, like, here, come help me, or why don't you stir the pot? I would sit in a corner of the kitchen and watch her um, <laughs> for hours. And I wonder if there's a connection between that and the way I approach writing, because I rarely start with a concept or an idea. It's very much driven by the observations and the scenes and maybe a small moment between two characters. Yeah. And so, I don't know, I, I, it's not fully formed, but maybe there's, maybe there's a parallel between my, my love of observing the way people cook and the way that I approach writing through observation. And I imagine a lot of that translated into these, these scenes where food kind of infuses um, a, a dynamic or, you know, in, informs or like colors a scene. I was thinking also, I was, I was very inspired by film when it came to writing about food and like the sensuality, the way that, that um, certain movies can really play with like the, how food can be both beautiful and grotesque and mm. and like and I think maybe that's where there's there's that cannibalism streak in the book where yes. um you know when you think about textures and ingredients like it's just it's very sensual and yeah it, you know. yeah <laughs> basically all that you've just said there it can be very sensual but then it can also have like a dark side and it can be yeah. a bit more sinister, yes. um, which is kind of uh, represented through like Anouk's terrible sandwich buffet conference experience. Yeah. <laughs> that I love Juliet that. Then, <laughs> so good. That Juliet then transforms into this kind of Claire Denis yeah, uh, yeah. vibe, you know, women preying on other women um, literally through, you know, the act of devouring them. But there was also this, to, to kind of go on to the subversive side a little bit, mm. um, there was also this dark side um, in relation to food and physical like yeah. appearance, right? Brigitte mm. is quite concerned. I mean, she grew up with an abusive yeah. mother who, who told her, like, you can't be fat, otherwise you won't get mm. anywhere in life. Um, and this is clearly carried on into adulthood. Yeah. And 
and it's something that she almost she starts doing almost with Margot. Like she mm -hmm. comments on her, like, "Oh, you've lost weight. You look amazing. Oh, you've put on a bit of weight over Chris." Like I, I noticed mm -hmm. that, and there was so there was that violence um, that I feel you know resonates with women. I feel like it's a very like feminist issue. Um, yeah you know conforming or being happy in your body or just being so kind of wrapped up in how we are yeah. by our shape I wonder if kind of was that intentional on your part like how did that kind of mm -hmm. fit in you know could you maybe yes I mean yes I, I agree with everything you're saying and it's so true especially at that very vulnerable age of 17 and and so that's I was thinking about it so much in terms of the stage that Margot's at in her life um, and how she is, she's uncomfortable in her body, but she's learning that, you know, she's also a sexualized being and, and that people might desire her, yeah. but, um, but like she, she doesn't think of herself as beautiful and like wonders, am I ugly? And, you know, she, she only has as, as like a role model at home, her mother who, who doesn't pressure Margot to be slender or or appear in any way but she also doesn't really give her tools to to deal with the fact that like Margot might not look like um like Anouk that's something that she thinks about a lot do I look like my mother who's tall and beautiful and slender um yeah. and in my mind like she she doesn't um right. she does in some ways but but they they do have um different physiques and I think that's something that especially at her age is is difficult since she measures herself against her mother. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's such a vulnerable time in her life. And then Brigitte, like, of course, I mean, she had a mother who, who always, um, who made her so self-conscious and, yeah. and who was so hard on her in terms of that. So she's absorbed that and, and she definitely, I think she's aware of it and battles it, but also it just like seeps into um, the, her relationship with Margot, how can it not in a sense? Right. And yeah, I, I was thinking about these, these themes as I was writing, um, because w when I was thinking back to, to my high school years, I mean, I was so lucky. My, my mom, um, never spoke about weight or, or even appearance. I mean, to the point where, uh, it, it, didn't really matter what what I ate or what I looked like. Well, it, it mattered that I that I ate healthily. I don't know what it was like for you, but when I think back to my last year of high school, some of my food memories are so vivid. Like I, mm. I can almost taste things on my tongue. There was this pain chocolat that um, at my high school, and it was just a frozen pain chocolat that they would heat up in the oven. Like nothing special, but to this day, it's the most vivid, delicious kind of memory of you know the kind of melted chocolate and yeah. and I so I think there's a connection between the coming of age these these um this idea of restriction or or the complicated relationships that you that you form and and like the feelings that you have about about your body and this feeling of like you know you're just not at ease in yourself but also this like desire to consume and yeah. and like feel and live and I I played around with with Brigitte and food where I, I had in an earlier scene a version where she not quite deliberately serves a rotten egg to Margot and I thought like wouldn't it be interesting if you know because food food is her skill 
Like, what if, what if there were small ways that she might try to harm Margot or, you know, I ended up pulling back on that. But I do think that there's, there's a subtext of, you know, she prefers Margot when she is more slender and yet she's always feeding her. There was so much tension cutting those scenes with Margot and Brigitte and food definitely played you know its part in that I wonder if we could just maybe just have a little chat about you know how confinement was for you um you you mentioned that you were supporting your local independent bookstore Albertine (laughs) you know were you in the headspace to read the Margot Affair you know obviously brought a lot of people uh, comfort during a really weird um horrible year where where did you kind of seek comfort literary or food or it was really difficult to read in march april and may which i was surprised by even though a lot of fellow writer friends went through the same experience i just can't think of another time in my life where reading was so hard um it's it's always been a source of comfort and joy and yeah. so um, that I wasn't able to focus. I mean, it makes sense now looking back and, and you know, there was a lot to manage in terms of, of course, the, the constant flow of information and, and reading the news more than, than I ever have and, and kind of going, um, <laughs> having tunnel vision. Yeah. And, and also preparing for the release of my novel and not knowing what that would look like and um, having to write personal essays about it but without talking about what was happening in the world at the same time, because I wrote a book that that it felt like it had nothing to do with what we were experiencing, um, that was quite jarring. And so I didn't read for a while. And then I was actually sick for about six weeks. And I really couldn't do much um, during that time, other than read my phone, which is depressing. But, you know, it <laughs> But then things got better, and um, and I started reading very short fiction. I was reading stories by Lydia Davis, which you know sometimes they're just a page long oh. or a paragraph. But I had already read them, so there was comfort in revisiting them. But also having that short format worked really nicely. There's a book that I read in July. Was it late July when it came out? Um, it is Wood, It is Stone by Gabriella Burnham, which I loved. That the the language is just so exquisite. It's a strange book. It doesn't have a conventional plot. It's voice driven. It takes place in Brazil. It's really, but it has like that magic that you know. It's hard to describe, but but that makes you want to continue swimming in the sentences. Um, so that's. That was a real joy to read. And right now I'm reading Breast and Eggs by Mieko Kawakami, which I'm, I'm really loving. And I'm just like going through slowly. And I, I love the way she writes about female bodies and sweat and yes, pores. I kind of took a break from working on my second novel, which, which was already a, a, a very messy, unformed thing. But, um, you know, there, like there wasn't much of an anchor to it yet. So right. I think it became even harder. I felt very unmoored with, with, with what was happening and, and preparing also for the release of, of this first book. But one thing that I 
did for the first time in my life was journaling. Or I, I, I guess I, I had a diary when I was younger, but I'm not a big journaler mm-hmm. in general. Um, but an acquaintance posted a, a journal project on Instagram and I kind of on a whim, I decided to try it out. Yeah. And she would, she, she's still continuing this project, but she sends out prompts every week. They're just questions and having some kind of direction and questions that were about our life and what we were going through um, was really helpful because it just lowered the stakes. It allowed me to continue writing, but in a way that, that felt a lot less precious and, and, you know, high stakes than, than the novel is. It, it, so that, that was really kind of, um, that was a nice way to stay connected to the act of writing without having the same um, standards maybe that, that I hold myself to. Right. Which, which I think was, was just, was giving me paralysis. And I think with one of the, maybe the positive um, aspects of, of the past couple of months is how people seem more open to forming connections or, you know, I think in the past getting a coffee with some someone is, it requires so much more effort and yeah. you might not be in the same city or, you know, people have busy lives. But I do feel like... Um, the the conversations I've had and the connections that I've had have been so meaningful and special and being able to join a book club whether it's you know in DC or Connecticut or wherever is is pretty magical and hearing from readers and hearing about their experiences is just I mean I, I never thought that that this book would see the light of day and um, you know that it would have readers. You often don't when you're writing it and it's such a long process and you know from from when you begin writing to when it actually um, has a publication date right. that um, seeing the the effect of that and and having strangers read it and connect with it is really moving and beautiful and mm. and that has definitely infused the past few weeks with you know a lot of a lot of light and hope well thank you so much for your time well it was so nice to speak with you thank you for choosing my book reading it finding it really I'm, I'm so happy to see see it finding readers well long may that continue <laughs> thanks once again for listening do you feel free to like comment, share, or subscribe to the podcast. All information on the FBC Paris Book Club can be found on our website, thefbcparis.com. And in the show notes, you can find all of Sanae's reading recommendations, as well as any articles or further books that are referenced, and also where you can get hold of your copy of The Margot Affair. See you soon. Bye.